Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. All right. Here we are in the bleachers again. Another good week in uh, Major League Baseball and another good week for Tuttle and I. We had a lot of fun last week, and what's on tap brought to you by St. Arnold is going to be a little bit different. This is going to be a special Bleacher Blums podcast because we have got a special guest coming up. We are going to interview Dr. Meredith Wills. She has kind of been on that leading edge of what's going on with the baseball over the last four or five years. Uh, She's got a lot of information, and she's got a lot of thoughts about what's going on, but also we had some questions about what was going on with the humidor and what that meant for baseball. So some interesting thoughts. Stay tuned for that. And of course, we've got leadoff lyrics coming up. We had some people get some guesses, and we're going to shout them out. Who's hot? Who's not? And that might be about it. That might be all that we have time for because we want to get to that interview with Dr. Meredith Wills. But obviously, before I do anything on this podcast, I got to bring in my boy, David Tuttle, man. How are things going, dude? Blummer. I'm doing better than you. I'm not traveling all over the country. This, uh, <laughs> the, I heard the, the tornadoes and you got, you know, Oof. you're on another podcast, which, you know, I want to, I want to tell you, I mean, I've known you now for quite a while hearing you tell that story. I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're a wordsmith, man. You're good. You, I know you've been on air a while, but I love it. The guy asked you like, Hey, would you please tell us the story of the home run that you hit in the 2005 world series? And your response was, how, how long is this podcast? Like how, you know, would you mind telling us the story? You have that story down. I'm sure you've told it yeah. in public a few times, but man, as well as I know you, I've never heard that story from end to end. And it was a, it's a charming, heartwarming, uh, you know, feel-good story. So I, I'm, I'm doing well, and I'm doing better for hearing that story. And I know you guys had some late travels, but the Astros have won ten in a row, and there's a few hot teams out there, and they're one of them. Yeah, there definitely are. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to go on the paint it, uh, paint it, paint the black podcast. Yeah, paint the black, yeah. It's with uh, Jason Castro's brother and a, and a good friend of his who are basically chronologically going through some interviews and kind of creating a time capsule, I think, for Jason Castro, who possibly at the end of the season might be calling it a career. Uh, so good for him. I hope he has a great finish to his career and has a lot of fun. It's kind of interesting. He's sitting on 99 home runs just like I am. So <laughs> I'm kind of cheering for him to get that 100th home run because the stigma that goes with it is is very interesting, to say the least. But uh, like I said in the podcast, who would have thought I got 99 anyways? Just going to say, yeah, I mean, like you – You've answered this question before, but again, people are so funny. Like, 99 home runs, what about 100? You're like, that was 99 more than you ever thought you would get. Just like I thought I would pitch in the big leagues for, you know, five or ten years, and I never got there. It's like your your dreams and what you imagine the world should be and how it's going to be, you know, it doesn't always work out the way you want it to. And like you said, 99 home runs, you know, you know. You know, is ninety nine more than you thought you'd hit, and if you only ever hit one, and it was in the two thousand five World Series in a fourteenth <laughs> inning, who cares, yeah. right? Like you don't, you, nobody even knows if you hit five hundred or one. Like anyway, so I, exactly, it, it, it's a great point, but no, I appreciate it. Hey, when when you so you've traveled quite a bit, but how are you with turbulence in an airplane? Ah, uh, yes. So when I was young. um, it didn't bother me. And I don't know if it was the roller coaster thing or when you don't have kids or a family waiting at home. I don't know if it's the mm-hmm. old age, but I felt like I was fine. Now, I will say, you, you mentioned your story before we talked about it off air. When we went to the 
that you mentioned always that I'm Team USA guy. When we played in Cuba, we did a chartered flight with Cuban teams. So we would go from Havana to oh, wow. you know Santiago, Cuba to play an exhibition, but we would sit in the same rows with the Cuban guys. I befriended a guy who we would chit-chat. He his English was pretty darn good and those guys Man, the Cubans that never defected, they're really old guys, but they're fantastic <laughs> baseball players. You're sitting next to, the, you know, I was 21, and I'm sitting next to a 32-year-old guy uh, who played third base for the, uh, or, you know, second base for the uh, the Cuban national team. But we would fly on these old Russian airplanes, like Aeroflot-type airplanes, because, you know, what? Cuba has a lot of old stuff, but they had these old Russian... And that's where we, you know, that's where we took those knuckle knuckleballers without cabin pressure. That scared the daylights out of me. But <laughs> I, I think I'm way worse than I was. Um, long answer to your question. I'm way worse with turbulence than I was initially. Um, you fly a lot more than I do, but it sounds like you're, uh, you had a turbulent experience. Yeah, man. So it wasn't my worst flight ever. My worst flight ever was back in two oh two oh three when we were breaking camp, and we. I feel like we've flew through a, a thunderstorm and a hurricane all at the same time. And then, you know, in 2004 with the Tampa Bay Rays, we actually had to fly through a hurricane to get to New York because George Steinbrenner thought we were stalling on him. But, what you know, that's a whole nother podcast episode. But, so yeah, we're coming in. three on the list. <laughs> yeah. So this is number three on the list. And it was kind of funny because we were, you know, we're, we're floating up there. Everything's going great. It's an off day. You're looking forward to getting into Minnesota to have dinner and, you know, enjoy the evening. And, you know, we they start the descent, descension and all of a sudden you're like, wham, you drop. Wham, you're left. Wham, you're right. And you're like, dude, my seatbelt is working and this is not making me happy. <laughs> and so we pull back up. We do a couple of laps in a holding pattern. We try it again. We get slammed around again and we finally go back up for another, you know, holding pattern. And they finally come on and they're like, yeah, there's some pretty bad weather down there with high winds, you know, you know, eight, 70, 80 miles an hour. We're like, oh, okay. We're just getting God. tossed around like a rag doll. And they eventually just say, screw it. And we gun it. And that landing was pretty bad. And uh, one of the players asked the pilot, uh, you know, how bad was that on a scale of one to 10? And, and the, it was a female pilot. She actually said seven to eight. She goes, it was oh moderate God. to extreme. So we were like, hmm, all right, we made it. Nice. Yeah, we made it. That is, I, don't, you know I would not ask that question after the flight. Like maybe, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I there's some things you don't want to know. know. Yeah, I'd be like, that's a three. <laughs> You're like, okay. Yeah, exactly. That oh, was nothing, guys. You guys are fine. I'm, I, I'm trying to figure out how the wings are still on the plane. But how about, do you, you know what? Talking about the turbulence and being young and naive, I think the more you know, the more worried you get. And that's how I feel as a parent because now I'm like, I'm, what about the kids? What about my wife? What's going to happen if we if this thing goes down? You know, that's that's the thought process now. Yeah. And that, and that, and that's what I was saying. I I do think it's the you know the more you know the worse it is, which is why again I go back to the question. I would not be asking the pilot that question, but that's a whole other thing. But <laughs> the turbulence aside, the uh, the the crazy uh, travel and all of the things that we're dealing with. Um, Ten game win streak is on, and you guys must be feeling pretty good. The flights are easier when the team's winning. I know that True. the beer flows better. So. Um, Anyway, just curious as to know what the, you know, what what do you think has been the turnaround because they kind of start out 500 I know we're early in the season, so. Let, let's hold on to that thought. We will right, I will cover that in who's hot, who's not. But I want to go back to leadoff lyrics because we had All a lot right, of fun with it. this in that leadoff lyrics uh, part of the uh, podcast that we're introducing here. And actually, we had a couple of correct answers. And on my side... 
for the lyrics that I read out. Clayton Sartor, who is at ProX underscore Clayton, reached out and got the correct lyrics for The Red by Chevelle. And obviously, if you know me well enough, and uh, you know Clayton does, he figured out that that was my walk-up song. And that's why I said it was going to be very easy out of the shoot. It may be a little bit different today. But Tuttle, do you have the name of who guessed yours? I do, yeah. It's uh, Karen Adams. And nice, it's at Karen Adams because she spells her name C-A-R-O-N. So at Karen Adams, that's easy. Got it right. She actually got both of them right. Now, she said Turtle Song was the Foo Fighters' Big Me, which is right. And a lot of people do call me Turtle. So I hope that was intentional, <laughs> not unintentional. But uh, yeah, so she got that right. And like I said, we start out easy. I think today's is fairly easy for me as well. But shout out to Karen Adams and thank you guys for uh, participating in our lead off lyrics. We're just starting this uh, this little, uh, I don't know, this trial run to see if it's, uh, if it's worth doing. And uh, so far, so good. Yeah, I hope it's fun for everybody. And again, we are going to read some lyrics. We're not going to go through the chorus, but if you know who the who the lyrics are, you're going to go to at Bleacher Blums and let let us know on our podcast handle who the song is sang by, sung by, and <laughs> uh, what what the name of the song is. So Tuttle, why don't you go ahead and lead off lead off lyrics? Oh, lead off lyrics! I can't remember who went first last time, but I'm happy to do that. So. I think this is another easy one, but I guess when you know this, I just like the way we read them. (laughs) Yes, fireside chat. Am I going to get a a pipe and a a smoking jacket here soon? We need it. (laughs) I can't remember anything. Can't tell if this is true or dream. Deep down inside, I feel to scream. This terrible silence stops me. Ooh. That's all I got. I think you know that. That's one. what Tuttle has. I, I, I have a that feeling one? that I do know. All right. Are all we right, giving good. any hints? We gave hints last time. Do you want to? <laughs> well, give a I hint? did. No, not really. I mean, you know, okay. like I said, I think we're we're overall we're starting off fairly easy. I think people know that the genre that we like to you know walk up song rock music you know somewhere in that yeah. genre. So there's a hint, but uh, but yeah, that's that's mine. What do you got, Blum? All right, I've got one. And it's going to be – this one may be a little bit tougher. It's a, it's a band that everybody knows from the grunge era, but it's not one of their their top hits. It's just one that kind of jumped at me as I scrolled That's through my phone. That's a big so, hint. Woo-hoo. So here we go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You insult me in my home. You're forgiven this time. Things go well. Your eyes dilate. You shake and I'm high. Look in my eyes deep and watch. The clouds change with time. 20 hours won't print my picture milk carton size. If you know who that, who sang that song and who those, what lyrics from what song that is, make sure you go to at Bleacher Blums and get to us. And I hope you thoroughly enjoy our fireside lyric reading as we lead off this podcast. (laughs) That was a lot of fun. And I think right now we're actually going to take a moment for a Word from our sponsors, thanks to the Blue Wire Podcast Network. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language 
in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. We are back. We appreciate our sponsors, and we appreciate everybody hanging through that to listen to this podcast. And remember, we are going to go into who's hot, who's not. But after that, stay tuned because we've got a great interview with Dr. Meredith Wills talking about the first 32 games and what the heck is going on with the baseball. There is something askew in the game of baseball, and we will dig into that with Meredith Wills. But first, we have got a who's hot, and I'm going to go with the who's hot because, Tuttle, you you mentioned it earlier. I had to pump the brakes on it because the hottest team in baseball I work for right now is the Houston Astros. They have won 10 in a row, and you're going to love this. I've got some great starting pitching pitching numbers and overall staff numbers for you, Tuttle, because I believe with as well as the offense has been going, that starting pitching has really been the leader in, in helping this 10-game win streak continue. Starting pitchers during the last 10 games, 0.93 ERA during that time. And as a staff in the 10 games, five shutouts have been pitched. Can you believe that? Uh, well, I mean, we're going to have to ask Dr. Wills about that, but I think uh, the baseball might have something <laughs> to do with that, it. Kind of fits that theme. Yeah, it, it fits the theme. But yeah, I mean, it's obviously that's a fan, those are fantastic numbers. I mean, I, I'd like to be a part of that staff and a part of those numbers any day of the week. Five shutouts. Yeah, they're good. And how about the offense is putting up five runs a game. They're 789 OPS and hitting 15 homers in those 10 games. So things are firing on all cylinders for the Houston Astros. 10-game win streak. Tuttle, who do you got? Who's hot for you? So that's funny you said that. So I'm actually picking a team and not a specific player this week. And I actually have a team in the same exact division, the American League West, which is the Angels. Yeah, Um, dude. Now, Reed Detmers was pitching at Louisville two years ago. And if you read between the lines, you know, it was a 12-0 no-hitter. But uh, he had the most balls put in play in a no-hitter in the modern (laughs) era. So he had, you know, only two strikeouts. But you know what? Sometimes you got to get it done. And I think what we said on this podcast initially is that are the Angels going to have enough pitching? Because we know if Rendon's Mm -hmm. healthy and Trout's healthy and Otani's healthy and you got, you know, all these other guys stepping up, I mean, it's going to be a good team offensively, but are they going to have enough pitching? And and it looks like they are, at least to start the year. I mean, nobody has the book on them. you know, you just mentioned the five shutouts and the .93 ERA. The Angels are in the same realm. I mean, they're they're you know, is it the baseball? Is it not? Is it the lack of experience um, from a hitter's perspective and a lack of a book on you know these guys the first time around the league? That's these can all be factors in there. But the fact that the Angels are leading, you know, the American League West, or at least they were at, uh, you know, until the Astros won <laughs> ten in a row. I mean, we're neck and neck, right? We're 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 in, we're going to have a race, and obviously, it looks like the A's and the Mariners will fall by the wayside shortly. But it looks like right. they're going to give the Astros a run for their money, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that shapes up as we go. But uh, you know, the Angels are hot. Uh, I think Brett Phillips is probably going to throw more innings. 
uh, for the Rays by the end of the year. I mean, he's already got way more big league innings than I ever got on the mound. Um, but Rendon, you know, turning around and, you know, he probably said, that was we've seen up. hitters do this before, I know. But we've seen hitters do this before because he's like, look, I'm not batting right-handed against this guy who is, you know, coming in out of the pen. Like, I don't want anything to happen, so I'll just turn around left-handed. And then he leaves the yard. It's like things are going right for the Angels, and they're my what's hot. Yeah, that's actually a really good what's hot. I also love the fact that Noah Syndergaard throwing shade at the New York Mets. It's always highly entertaining. That saying Reed Detmers, that that was a real no hitter, not a combined no hitter. <laughs> uh, but then and then Brandon throwing shade on all switch hitters by just going up there casually and hitting a bomb left handed. I was like, you got to be kidding me, man! It ain't that. Do you easy. know any switch hitters? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know two of them, and they're all inside my head. They won't leave me alone. Oh, oh man. Funny. But those are two really good what's hots, and I've got a what's not hot. And fortunately, it's, it has to do with a good buddy of mine, a very good friend, A.J. Hinch. His Detroit Tigers are scuffling right now. They came into Minute Maid Park. Now, remember, last year they came into Minute Maid Park, swept the Houston Astros. We were like, what the heck is going on? Maybe the Tigers are on an uptick. Uh, they were one of the best teams to finish the second half of the season last year, but they came into Minute Paid Park for a four-game series, got swept. What's interesting about all of that, it was right in the middle of that 10-game uh, win streak for the Houston Astros. The interesting thing about it right now is that the fact that we buried the Cincinnati Reds last week's podcast. Guess who has one more win than the Cincinnati Reds? Yep. The Detroit Tigers. Guess who have the lowest scoring offense in all of baseball, less than the Cincinnati Reds? The Tigers. They've played 32 games and have scored 88 runs. That is not hot. It is not. And it's funny because I looked at the Reds this week and we had talked about them being three and We got whatever. them hot. Yeah, they're now they've won three games in the last week. So they had won three all year <laughs> until last week, and now they've got six wins. So as you pointed out, the Tigers have seven wins. It's a little um, interesting, and I know we're partial to AJ, especially on this podcast, and you know him personally, and you know former uh, world champion with the Astros. But uh, but you know, I mean, sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't work out that but that way, but we kind of thought they might be sneaky this year. And I think, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just like the Angels, we thought might struggle or scuffle with their pitching staff. Detroit just doesn't seem to have their uh, ducks in a row yet. But again, it's a long season. Um, it is funny to have, you know, Miggy in the middle of that lineup. And, you know, he, he goes three for four in a game that they lose eight nothing. And he goes two for three in the next game. And you're like, all right, I know. You know, Hall of Fame, Hall of Famer in the middle of the lineup. And he's still doing his job. But, uh, yeah, the Tigers are not hot. Uh, my not hot is actual player, unfortunately, single somebody out, um, is C.J. Abrams. We mentioned before oh, yeah. <laughs> that uh, Tatis was going to be out for a significant amount of time. And C.J. Abrams got optioned yesterday sent down 21 year old phenom and we had kind of talked about how that lineup would shape up and we still have this great race in the national league west with the dodgers the padres and the giants all kind of neck and neck there but we thought you know cj abrams could fill in you know nobly he's one of the top five prospects in major league right now he's batting 182 and they just brought luke voigt off the uh, luke voigt and will myers off the il and Mm -hmm. they sent cj abrams down to i guess reconnect now again You've been up and down before. Actually, no. When you went up, you never went, uh, never went back down, and I never went up. So, but there is that. You know, the sh- the shuttle for the prospects is yeah. not anything out of the ordinary. He is a 21 year old kid. Um, 
you know, but he wasn't putting up Jeremy Pena numbers. And uh, and he's yeah. on my what's not hot, batting 182, slugging was down, scuffling a little bit, his first first go at the big league level. And uh, I guess that can be expected. If he was doing anything else, it would have probably been a surprise. But he was not hot and got sent down yesterday. And uh, hopefully he regains his footing and comes back up and does what he needs to do. I think it's tough, too, when you get that prospect label and the expectation is that they're just going to get called up and rake because some guys do, some guys don't. I think the be- the, what, the story that I always find interesting about you know phenoms who get called up, sent down, and then end up having phenomenal careers, look at Mike Trout. He did something very similar. He got called up, hit like a buck 70, couldn't figure it out, got sent down, like you said, reconnected to what he was doing right, brought it to the big leagues, and all of a sudden here we are with a couple of MVP awards in him. So I'm sure that... C.J. Abrams and a lot of the coaching staff will get him right and get him back because he is a big piece. And, you know, if Tatis sticks around for a while, but uh, or maybe you're traded. So, I mean, he's he's got some options out there. Yeah, you know, I'll finish with this thought. And I, you know, not getting called up. We've talked about my experience in big league camp a few times. I didn't get to throw a lot of innings. But uh, when you get out there, it doesn't feel like the same game your first go around. Now, some guys overcome that with confidence and there are some guys that come up and do it really well, but you're like, I've been doing this my whole life. I'm a professional. I know what I'm doing. You get out there and you know, you're short of breath. <laughs> it happens. Your yeah. arm's a little short. And yeah, I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just a different experience the first time. And so you got to, you know, regain your footing and come back up. But I mean, being label the top five prospect and of all all of the minor leagues or you know in all of the big leagues um he's certainly going to be back up and he's going to get many more chances so but that's it that is it for who's hot who's not Uh, another good segment for us and you know what we are going to go ahead and lead this thing right into our interview with dr meredith wills again she is an astrophysicist she has been at the leading edge at some of the some of the knowledge and data surrounding the baseball since about 2019. She's got some crazy insight and uh, crazy interesting insight, I should say. And we've had her on the podcast before. Tuttle and I have a very good conversation with her. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Dr. Meredith Wills. All right, we are in the bleachers and it is myself, Jeff Blum. I've got my co-host, David Tuttle, and we've got one of our favorite guests on, Dr. Meredith Wills. Yes, a certified astrophysicist, and she's our astrophysicist. Uh, We have talked a lot about the baseball, and we are now 32, 33 games into the season, so a lot of things have unfolded. And one thing that I've noticed is that the baseball is not flying as much. But I want to welcome in Dr. Meredith Wills. How have you been? How are things going? (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm good, and and things are much more interesting than I had expected them to be this season, and I'm getting sick of it. (laughs) <laughs> I, I want I yeah, want a year it, off, like since twenty. Yeah, oh I guess since twenty eighteen for sure. It's been like this in some way. Well, I think we all feel the same way. Even pitchers. I mean, Tuttle could talk to that point too. I think even pitchers, and that's what I wanted to ask you first is, what are you seeing with the baseball? Because I see I see data as just a, a regular fan of the game. I'm not so much concerned with batting average being down this year because I think that's just the nature of the game. Pitching is better, swings are different, and the strikeout is okay, so people are swinging harder. But the slugging number being down a good 50, 60 points in comparison to what the expected slugging number is is what concerns me. But what do you see in the game of baseball here about 32 games into the season? Wow. Well, um, the ball is clearly a problem. In fact, the ball is probably the main problem. Uh, drag is definitely up. Uh, there's really no question about that. Uh, you know, that's what the stack cast data are showing. 
And based on what I've seen, every single thing that you are hearing from players about how the balls are mush and how every single ball is different um, and how the seams are higher is not only true, but in fact, what I would have expected to some extent for the um, for this new dead ball with the humidor. Uh, I actually did some, uh, I don't know if we talked about this last time. I, I built a couple DIY humidors last season. Oh yeah, we didn't talk about this. I, That's I, cool. Um, it was it was actually I was I was out in Wisconsin and uh, it's it started during the off season. In fact, so I it's really dry. So I you know once the baseball dries out, it like they get too light and it's the data aren't good. So I literally built these these little DIY humidors, which is kind of cool, and <laughs> uh, you know sort of make sure that the balls were all going to be about the same so that I could take data. I did look at. Um, you know, once we had confirmation that there were these two kinds of balls, uh, and I was actually noticing what I thought were differences when the balls were dried out, like the dead balls would get really small, much mm-hmm. smaller than anything I'd seen. And it seemed consistent with um, with stuff that Rob Arthur and Ben Lindbergh had found about um, the balls used in spring training, basically, which is like the driest time of the year, particularly in Arizona, and everyone's in the same place, so the climate's the same too. Um, so they actually were finding that those dead balls were basically juiced. And, and so I wanted to see what was going on. Uh, and so I ended up testing these baseballs and I, I didn't know what they were. I knew some had to be live, some had to be dead. And I sort of played around with the humidity. You know, at one point I actually jacked it up to what I like to think of as like a jum- jungle humidity. So that like everything wow. got as, as sort of big and, and, it retained as much moisture, I guess. And mm-hmm. balls definitely, like, the wool inside the baseball responds really strongly to humidity. So it, they get heavier when it's more humid. They get lighter when it's less. They The size changes. Um, what I found was that, uh, you know, I, I, the balls, you know, both kinds, but the, the dead more uh, more dramatically, they did expand. They did shrink because after the, the jungle humidity, I literally put them in the oven to to uh, to dry them out, it worked. Uh, really? How are you going to reproduce Arizona, right? In, in yeah, no February kidding. of of uh, or February of March or of um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in Wisconsin, particularly if it's really cold inside and it's dry. Yeah. No, I just wanted to ask you real quick, it, just in between this, could you explain to fans who are listening to this podcast who don't understand why the humidor and what the humidor is actually doing to the baseball? Okay. Right. So and then you uh, said what, dry. You just mm-hmm. said you said live ball, dead ball, like with the wool and the humid. Yeah, just clarify what I, I is, have. Yeah, I have show and tell. Of course, there we go. Yeah, just what? clarify for all of us, like mm-hmm. what which one flies more, all that stuff too. So okay. two questions there. So rewind. Um, yeah. So what the what the humidor? Actually, I'll start with this. So a, a baseball, uh, and this literally is half of a major league baseball. Uh, by the way, this is like my only one. I never cut them in half except for this example. So okay. anybody, I do we not appreciate that. to baseball. So how I, <laughs> not how I did. Um, so what you can see is you've got the cover and then this is the pill on the inside. There's three layers of wool. And, uh, you know, th- the wool does turn out to be important. Uh, this is a ball that is sort of the standard manufacturing specifications going back decades. And what, what we're now calling the live ball is actually the normal ball before 2020. <laughs> I swear it's... Mostly because I'm not sure how to call it the dead ball and the normal ball. It doesn't seem to kind of get stuff across. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, the difference with the dead ball 
is that this inner layer has actually been wound more loosely. And the effect oh, that you get wow. is kind of like underinflating a basketball. When mm -hmm. it hits when it hits the bat, it's just going to smush more against the bat and so it won't come off the bat as fast. So it just doesn't bounce as much. And that was the point. That, that's like why it, they did it. And I hate to interrupt, but there, sure, that's please. actually something I've, you know, we're 32 games into the season. I've, I've had access to several different teams that I've been able to talk to and all of the hitters to a man. If you, st if you stand next to a batting cage, you can hear the crispness off the bat and then you can hear this thud off the bat. And a lot of guys are uh, using the term trampoline effect and they're not getting the trampoline effect that they're accustomed yeah. to having to, to your point about that, mm -hmm. the quote unquote normal ball. The current ball is a little more spongy, so it, it compresses against the bat and isn't, isn't going as far, right? Yep. Yeah, I, the, uh, Pete Alonso called it SpongeBob, which I, I think is fascinating. Yeah, that was actually that's, pretty funny. <laughs> that, that's brilliant. SpongeBob versus Patrick's Rock. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so the, the, and in fact, that was the point. That's like why they designed it that way, was so it would be, you know, would have less trampoline effect. Um, with the humidor, uh, that's something they've kind of been working towards for a while, uh, you know, started in Colorado and then Arizona. Last season, there were actually 10. I, you know, I've, I have talked to a number of people and, you know, everywhere I've talked to, not only are they using the humidor, but the process is very heavily regulated by MLB. But that's the thing, too, is trying to inquire about what the humidors are doing or how they're using them. And the MLB keeping such a close eye is that I don't have the the information. I can't get the information that I probably would enjoy to have. I'm surprised, considering what a big deal this is, how little they've mm -hmm. said, you know, even ahead of time. They just, you know, it was Eno Saris is really the only one who's who's had stuff out. And as far as I know, like, because I, I talked to him, you know, often enough, and he thinks all 30 parks are have their humidors active. Oh, good. So that that's even well, then, a question. Then I can be, is, is I can be of, completely wrong. Yeah. But it, it just the fact that it's not something you know is in itself a little mm -hmm. bit, maybe not concerning, but unusual. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Well, let's, ho let's hope you're wrong because we talk about all these variables. And as a scientist, we finally have an astrophysicist on here. Uh, you know, that's just another variable. Like, what is the yeah. regulation, right? And if you're not using it. So mm -hmm. let's hope Jeff's wrong about that. And again, mum's the word. They haven't said anything. So yes, mm -hmm. we know all the ballparks have a humidor. But mm -hmm. if they're using them or not using them, obviously, it would be another factor mm -hmm. in this, uh, in this yeah. crazy little uh, mm -hmm. experience. Yeah. But, but what is the humidor supposed to be doing to that ball right. to, to even well, it out? What, what the, the idea of the humidor is, is I, I, what I uh, mentioned before, is that um, it, it basically makes sure that every ball has it's basically the same moisture content, which I know mm -hmm. makes it sound like a sponge, and it kind of acts like that, but it's more that if the ball's dried out, it does actually shrink a bit, it gets harder, and every ball will do that. With those dead balls, it really does. Um, and so, yeah. you know, having, having them all the same, uh, there also might be something to the fact that when the original dead balls were designed, all the testing was done. Sorry, that's my cat's tail. If it's like ending up in the <laughs> That's awesome. We've got he's dogs on our shows. We've got cats. He's, no he's going to try and help here. Axel, say hi. Hey, hey Axel. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think Opal was on last time actually, but, uh, <laughs> The um, the original dead ball was in fact only tested in in a lab, climate controlled conditions. So constant temperature, constant humidity for all the tests, and all they did was test the the trampoline effect, as it were. Mm -hmm. 
That's like the only thing they looked at. They didn't look at the drag. They didn't look how they behaved even outside, let alone in games. Oh, so wow. like, it's, it's mind-blowing. Yeah. And, and again, Eno's like the go-to guy on this. They also did some reporting on that. Um, it last, I want to say the article came out in July of 2021 with a bunch mm-hmm. of things about the baseball, but that was one. Um, having the humidors would kind of make sense because since that ball wasn't tested anywhere, basically, they did all end up behaving a little bit weird. Like we had no idea what that new dead ball was actually doing, frankly. Mm-hmm. Like you, you couldn't sort of, I mean, frankly, we couldn't tell them apart anyway. From the outside, you just couldn't which yeah. is partly why this year is weird. Uh, but at least with the humidor, that way that dead ball is at least they're all going to be the same, the same, you know, the same moisture. Hence, they should end up the same, you know, the same uh, size, the same uh, trampoline effect. The problem seems to be that the reason that you get that change, like particularly with the size and the weight, is wool response to humidity. So uh, whose hair frizzes when it gets humid? Either Man, I wish I had enough to frizz. I don't. Okay. I know my don't wife's know. does. But, I, but mine. You know does, what I'm talking yeah, about. At least, sure. yeah. Mine, mine's oh, too yeah. flat to frizz. Mine's too straight. Yeah. But um, wool, when there's moisture, it basically acts like hair being frizzed. Mm. When it dries out, it kind of gets flat. And yep. so the thing is, the the covers are pushing in. So when the covers are pushing in, it means the entire ball shrinks down, which is the, what I was saying before. When it uh, does shrink down, you know, you're getting the seams, like, you know, it's the, the, the leather, this part's going to press in more than the seams mm-hmm. anyway. So you'd get the seams being raised when it dries out. The problem is when you put it in a humidor, it does, it, it does expand again. You know, the hair refrizzes, as it were. Yeah. But the assumption seems to be that it's going to frizz in a circle. And that's not the case. Like, again, really? this part of the cover pushes in differently than the seams. There's like literally a crack right there. Why in the heck would the crack push in as much as the part that's literally tight against the ball? So by putting them in the humidor, the seams get even higher. Does it make sense? And that and that would in turn create more drag when it's outside that thing. Yep. And and it would also every player who's talking about the seams feeling even higher this year. Mm-hmm. Um for whatever reason, because Parks did have humidors last year. Yeah. And yet, I didn't hear a single player talk about how terrible the ball was. Nobody said it's a crummy ball. I've, I've gotten a few so far this season. I need more. I'm seeing leftover 2021 dead balls. Not, I mean, literally exactly the balls that were used last season. We shouldn't be surprised, by the way, because they maybe used like half of their 2021 stock because okay. they were using so many leftover 2020s. Of course, we'd be seeing, uh, we'd be seeing leftover 2021. This is not a surprise. I was expecting that. Mm-hmm. But given the fact that we've got exactly the same baseballs in play, and yet every player is saying they're mushy and they're bad and the seams are higher, something is different, which I think is not just the humidor, but the way it's being used. Because parks that had humidors last year, you talk to people with the Red Sox, and the ball is different. They had a humidor last year. So why? You know, something's, something's weird. So you, so we are on with Dr. Meredith Wills, astrophysicist, a good friend of the program. So you think that the inconsistency with the ball is because of what's inside the ball, which wool, the wool they're using inside? It, and, well, the amount of wool, because the wool is the same for both kinds. It's but it's the, the amount. For, yeah, because remember, this is this is less. Uh, this is wound more loosely. The size is uh-huh. the same. 
It's just literally less dense. So the right. So so like if I had a cutaway from from a dead ball, this like I said, this is maybe I'll, I'll or if, if, you, I can if find you unraveled it. the two different balls, you'd have more wool coming out of one baseball than another baseball. Yes, and that's that's in fact exactly how I was able to find there was a difference to begin with for 2020. Oh, wow. MLB had they they started making these for the 2020 season. I kid mm-hmm. you not. They they didn't show up as much partly because it was just you know getting baseballs at all was tough with a with a covid season with no fans. Yeah. It was not easy to get baseballs. Um but they if you remember they'd claimed uh in 2020 or I should say in February of 2021 that they'd somehow made all of these dead balls and were saving them because they were somehow a test run. They were fully a third of production for 2020. Like, had wow. there not been a COVID-shortened season, they would have had to use a huge percentage of the baseballs as those dead balls because they wouldn't have had enough for an entire season. There's just no way. You know, you can't have a third of production and, like, set it aside because they're going to use everything. I mean, heck, they ran out in 2019. So, of That's course, they were going to crazy to think about, yeah. Yeah. So my question is about the humidor is I understand that they're going to be in every ballpark. Everybody's going to be using them. Mm-hmm. MLB is regulating what that humidor is set at. What ha- how long would it take for a baseball? If you take the, if you take seven dozen baseballs out of that humidor, rub them up, get them ready for the game. And they sit in a bag, uh, you know, next to the ball boy, uh, next to the dugout, how long before those baseballs completely change? Because if I, if Tuttle's out there pitching with a baseball in the first or second inning, is it going to be the same baseball that he's pitching with in the fifth and sixth? Uh, if I can make it to the fifth or sixth, remember. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you've got a reliever coming in and they don't see the ball <laughs> till the ninth, right. maybe. Let's, let's, yeah. let's pretend you're, you're like the, the, the top closer yeah, in the there league. How's go. that? Right. There we, go. we made it to eight innings. Yeah. Well, we'll benefit of the doubt here, you know. You just pitched a perfect game because everybody gets to do it once or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but I like what I, I like what Blum said. So the time, yeah. right? Is this? Are we talking days or whatever? And if you don't use that, you know, if yeah. you don't use all seven dozen, and you go to the next day, like, mm-hmm. what, what's our timeline? Well, the, it's uh, what I have, and this is just my own experience. What, what I have found is, okay, I guess to start with, balls are going to be kept in a humidor for for two weeks. That's been a standard for for a long time. So I'm assuming MLB is sticking to that. Um, it, it also sounds like, frankly, they are keeping track of of you know how long balls are in. So I, in the past, I've you know when I've gotten ba- a lot of baseballs from a given park, not every park has like done what's called a first in first out for usage. Usually they do that. So like they'll end up going through a certain batch of balls, kind of all at the same time. But there's at least one park where I'd find balls in August that were the same batch as I saw in April, even though like they weren't anywhere else because it just looked like they were taking them out randomly or like when they came across them as opposed mm-hmm. to the ones that had been in the normal storage longest. Again, this was a pre-humidor situation. Wow. But um, with the humidor, since every ball would have to be in there for two weeks, and it's not going to be big enough to hold all the baseballs that are yeah. at the park. So, you know, having somebody who's keeping track and say, okay, this ball, I don't know if they write the dates on the boxes. Someone's got to be keeping track of it's got to be in there two weeks minimum before they use it. Now, taking them out, what I found is that um, I will notice, you know, as soon as a day maybe, but a couple days really before you start seeing changes. I've never seen anything like on the order of hours. 
that, okay. that doesn't mean it's it's not the case, but considering how like the kind of descriptions that you'll get, uh, I'm not sure that the being out of the humidor just within a game. On the other hand, you know what you said, they're they're going to rub up more baseballs than they'll use in the game. Otherwise, they'd run out, yeah. right? Yeah. Yep. So depending on how they're being stored, if they don't get put back in the humidor overnight, yeah, they probably will be drier the next day. You know, interesting. Uh, it'd be Which, nice if MLB told us what they were doing. No, that's the well. I think yeah. that's the crux of this whole discussion. And what's interesting is it took me back to my first job at a grocery store, right? And they used to say stack the shelves, and you had to face the product. You pull the old product to the front. But mm -hmm. to your point, like, what does this hour employee make? How are they keeping track of this? Like, you know, you could definitely see somebody putting the new balls in front of the old balls, and now you have a you know maybe a four week batch. And then I think what you discussed last time was the possibility of you know maybe even a different baseball, not just wound, and we have overstock or understock and that's a yeah. whole nother discussion but mm -hmm. i think there's so many variables here um mm -hmm. to blum's point earlier it's the players that tell you i mean i know you hear oh, all yeah. this anecdotal stuff but it mm -hmm. becomes science we all know when you mm -hmm. flush a baseball off the bat how it's supposed to feel how it's supposed to sound mm -hmm. when you get the ball and the seams are a certain way so this is this is just another variable there and it mm -hmm. sounds like there's not a lot of consistency and it would be nice if uh you know mlb was a little more transparent i think it's it's what I find incredible is that, I mean, I have yet to talk to players about anything with the baseballs over the last few years where they haven't been hyper aware. They know what things, even if they don't know the why or precisely what's up, they, they, everything they describe ends up not just being something I find, but I love talking to players, particularly at the beginning, because then I you know, know which questions to ask. And like I said, every single thing I have heard from a player fits with, you know, either what I've found or in some cases what I was expecting. No, that's, that's like the analytics matching up with the eye test, you know what yeah. I mean? With, with baseball. Exactly. So that's, I mean, that kind of, you have the idea from testing the mm -hmm. baseball, the player has the idea from what it feels off the bat, like Tuttle was saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's also uh, like with that, that expansion with the, the dead balls, one thing that it looked like I was seeing, and I didn't have like enough baseballs to kind of run with things when I, when I looked last year, but because of the way the balls were re-expanding it, it, they don't like when they, when they have the ball in the humidor, it's, it's in one of those game boxes. So it's in a box. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, if you've got a ball that like shrinks down that much and ends up re-expanding in a way that's not circular, if it's sitting physically on a shelf, um, oh, it's going it's to be flat. Yeah, on one side. <laughs> so yeah, there was uh, Will Middlebrooks talked about talking to a pitcher who threw out like five balls in a row yep. because they were dented. I'm reasonably sure that was the flat spot that they had been sitting on in the humidor. Yeah, because that, that's two weeks. Yeah, if they're in there for two weeks, that's mm -hmm. a that's a reasonable amount of time for the weight oh, yeah, of that baseball yeah. to compress it. Yeah. Yep. And now that I've been out of the game a while, if I got a flat baseball, I'm keeping that thing. I'm not throwing that out. Like you guys try and hit a flat baseball that comes up to the you know plate in a weird way. Like yeah. you guys hit a flat baseball. It, it does. It does make me wonder though. Um, you know, I realize like uh, Britt Garoli and Eno Saris did put on an article about how hit by pitches have been steadily going up, mm -hmm. regardless. However, and and actually, as far as gripping a ball uh, when you pitch, are you somebody where you check every side of the ball before you grip it, or do you just go for your grip? 
Um, no, no, no. I would spin it around because I threw a lot of two seamers. So I always okay. kind of like to, I like to high seam on my, uh, my mm-hmm. index finger so I could yep. really get a nice little mm-hmm. run on the ball. So I would spin mm-hmm. it really quickly, but I think mm-hmm. this is what you learn by talking to players. Mm-hmm. Blummer could tell you with the bat, the feel of the bat, yep. it would take me, you know, two seconds to figure out what, what was comfortable mm-hmm. in my hand. Yeah. And I kind of like that high seam on the in, mm-hmm. index finger. Well, I guess what my thought is, is if there's a flat spot on a side where you're not checking, mm-hmm. that presumably would affect how the ball flies. Absolutely. And so, right. So, so what I'm, you know, when you when you see a guy lose a pitch, and I mean, because I, I guess I've been looking for some of this. One thing I do is, frankly, I look at the catcher. I see where the catcher's True. setting up. And if it's totally off, you know, if it's not even on the side, you know, I've seen where it's, you know, it's a high and inside and it almost decks the guy and he's setting up low and away. The mm-hmm. ball shouldn't be that off. You know, or I've even seen the other way where there's like a lefty up and the ball ends up almost being a wild pitch where it would have gone for the guy's head had it been right-hander. And you could tell the catcher was not expecting that at all. Oh, no yeah. one was you, in the way, but we, We've all watched enough off. baseball that I think that, man, I heard a stat the other day that I said that said pitchers, the average miss for a pitcher is almost 17 inches. Whoa. Okay. That I yeah. That's what that blew me away. I was like, you got to be kidding me. That's that's ridiculous. Because pitchers at this level are very good at putting the ball where they want to. Right. Yeah. It's it's. I mean, it's been it's been an interesting debate. I think because you know, and and again, Tuttle, you can speak to this. My experience is you know, particularly like when I was looking at this stuff earlier on in 2019. Certainly, you know, I talked to a, a few pitchers, and nobody wanted to talk about like certainly to me about. Actually, I shouldn't say it. To me, they were willing to say this, but they would never have been caught saying it even to their teammates that the ball was really messing with them. But as a pitcher, you don't want to say it's the ball because it sounds like an excuse. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I get that. The very fact that we are getting as many pitchers as we are coming out and complaining, like I don't think people realize the gravity of that. You know, it's not, these guys do not make excuses. If it's at this point, it's a very big deal. No, I think I think to your point, the idea of of baseball is you know the game of adjustments. It's adapting. It's it's dealing with the circumstances in front of you. And I agree with you in that sense. But I think we're the some of these players are getting to the point where like this is ridiculous. Yep. Chris Bassett, I mean, pretty much just let them have it there for a little yep. while, and it was crazy to hear people be that vocal about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Alec Manoa was an interesting one because yeah. uh, you know I I, w- I loved what he said, uh, and then a friend of mine pointed out to me he's pre arb, and he's still willing to say that. <laughs> that's what's yeah seriously that's a going very up big them. deal yeah well i think you're that's the overarching point that you made which is we never wanted to make excuses because you know it's like oh my shoe wasn't tied right or my teammates aren't playing good defense like you just mm-hmm. you just get in the habit of knowing yeah. that you only have control over certain things but i think mm-hmm. when one person speaks out it you know certainly emboldens other players and i think we're you know i mean enough is enough, right? I mean, you've been on the podcast twice and we'll probably, you know, you'll be a regular every year now as these. <laughs> oh, as what are you these... talking about? Every year you're going to talk to me at least twice more this season, I'll bet. Well, no, no. Yeah, that's, that's true. But that's what I'm saying. Like, we'll just make you the third member of this podcast because it is it is important. I mean, basketball doesn't change the, you know, I mean, aside from the Tom Brady incident, that was a big deal, right? To flake it. Yeah. I mean, It was a big deal and yet same. somehow this isn't. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I think I think it can go back to baseball owning. You know, they keep saying a minority stake in Rawlings, but you know, if they're the number one client and they own forty nine percent of it, yes, you're a minority owner, but you have a lot of say so. Yeah, I, I do. I do think. I mean, it 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 it's a smart 
business move as far as like the optics in that you know they own I think about twenty five percent, twenty four percent, and the majority is actually held by is it um, Seidler? Is that the owner of the Padres? I believe um, so. Yeah, almost yeah, all the rest I of believe. it. Yeah, it's Seidler. Um, yeah. Right, and even though they, he owns most of it, MLB do- makes all the decisions. So it kind of doesn't matter. It's like you've got MLB and one of the owners. And you know, yeah. it's not like he's coming in and making the decisions. He's he's letting them do it, like which is kind of the point. That's why they bought it. That's right. Uh, that was so, my point. Forty nine percent obviously was a joke because they own right. less than half. But yeah, they own like mm-hmm. whatever it is, twenty two or twenty four yeah. or twenty five percent. But that's the point. Is this yep. isn't like, you know, I mean, it's an owner <laughs> with the MLB and they employ the commissioner and yeah. you know they anyway. So they they're mm-hmm. keeping it uh, tight tight lid on it and. Um, you know, it needs to be exposed, I guess. I don't, I don't know why they're, I mean, cause, cause we've had changes before. Like, you know, the basketball, they changed it at one point and mm-hmm. the players hated it. And so they changed it back. Yeah. Um, in this case, MLB, and I mean, I've got data showing this. They have literally been making two kinds of baseballs, like two that were specifically designed to be different mm-hmm. from the 2020 season on. I mean, and there, there, yeah, there's, there's no way with those seasons that you could only use one or only use the other. There's two, the percentage is too, too split. Oh, here's the, here's, here's this baseball I was talking about. Yeah. This is the, when I was thinking of grip, but that, yeah. you know, like and would, would you be checking like right there for instance? Yeah. A flat not, not really. I mean, okay. I, I just, you just do it by feel. I always do it by mm-hmm. feel. You know, the stat that jumped out to me, you guys mentioned this before coming out of spring training, right? The Batting average was 244 in 2021. Now it's 232. Slugging's down. On base is down. But the average exit velocity and the average launch angle are identical. And I think Blum yep. gets into these stats all the time. That's, on his that's the issue. Those are the, those are the two stats, right? And this is where MLB can't hide from that. So mm-hmm. basically the average you know, velocity mm-hmm. and the launch angle are the same, but we're seeing different results. And mm-hmm. um, there was an incident the other night, or an incident, uh, Pena hit a home run. Mm-hmm. But they were saying how he sprinted out of the box and it ended up way up in home run alley. And the mm-hmm. only player I told, I mentioned this to Blum uh, either off air or last podcast, the, the catcher, as soon as the ball was hit, the catcher dropped his head because he knew the ball was smashed. But mm-hmm. nobody else in the ballpark knew whether that ball was going to go out or not until it yeah. actually did live mm-hmm. on air. And I think that's. Mm-hmm. That's where we talk about analytics versus your eyeball. That eyeball yeah. test, you could tell nobody thought that ball was going to leave the yard. Well, I, I have to wonder, actually, because you know, from what I was just saying, they have a, you know maybe half of 2021 baseballs are left over. Both kinds, both the live ball and the dead ball. It's not like they're only dead balls left over. Yep. If we're, you know, it looks like so far we've basically been seeing dead balls, certainly like for the first you mm-hmm. know, few weeks, maybe to the end of April. Um those live baseballs have to be somewhere. They're not going to leave like a couple hundred thousand baseballs sitting on a shelf in, in Missouri. So, uh, you know, I have to wonder, like when you hear about something like that, or what was it last night? Was it judge hit two home runs? And, and anyway, a lot of home runs got hit, including like, you know, I want to say the Yankees hit like five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, you know, those live balls have to show up. And maybe that's what happened. The ball that he hit, if it was that off, it wouldn't surprise me if it was like physically the other baseball. I think what you're hinting at is that maybe teams, <laughs> you might be hinting at the fact that maybe different teams are getting different baseballs. 
Uh, I could see two things. Uh, well, I mean, it, it might be different teams getting different baseballs. It might just be that we've seen dead balls everywhere, and now they're shipping out. Or they, I should say, say they're, now they're, they're flushing the system ones. of all of the dead they're balls and the now some of the, of the live... dead balls and putting live ones in. Yeah, which, right. by the way, if they're showing up now, it would have mean they would have been shipping them out at the end of April. So it's not even like this is one of the things that I found interesting was like the um, was it Eric Chavez that talked about uh, how Mets hitters were saying that or Mets yeah. players were saying that they were using these four, you know, nationally televised games that the live balls. There, there's there's actually some validity to that, because early on in the season, the Astros had one of those Apple games and that was they they scored 13 runs and hit six home runs in that game. I mean, I, I would, I guess I would be surprised, but considering the amount of, um, the amount of control that they, I mean, certainly somebody has to be paying attention to make sure that a ball's in that humidor for two weeks. So, um, you know, having some level of control over when balls are being used, it would be much more so than, you know, when teams didn't have humidors. Because there's there's no reason that like the batting practice balls are like balls aren't necessarily going to go in as a first in first out or get used that way. Now mm. they have to be, and if yeah, it's there's somebody, has to be a system, you know, right? And and I, I believe it's going to be someone with MLB who would be putting baseballs into the humidor. So depending on how that's done, if they're also taking them out first in first out, you could probably have baseballs controlled all the way up to the games. I, I it, it seems pretty tricky that they would get it down exactly to a game, but you know, the flushing the system that you're talking about could be done in a way that's pretty systematic. Yeah. And it would have to be two weeks in advance, so it's not necessarily in response to, say, Chris Bassett's complaint because they'd already have the baseballs in there. I don't know. It's fascinating no stuff. Idea. And that's stuff that, <laughs> unfortunately, we may never know. Mm-hmm. No. I was going to say one last thing about that, like anecdotally, because, you know, the stats aren't there. Blum texted me last week for sure, and there was, I, whatever, five games in the American League, and there was like six runs. It was 2-1, one nothing. Yep. It was 1-1 one, one in the ninth inning and one other game. And then last night, so again, this is just me looking, I saw a 15-3 to game. The Dodgers were 7-7 seven, seven or 8-8 eight, eight in a certain mm-hmm. game. There was another game that was 6-5. to five. And so again, I mean, that's how arbitrary this is, but you could see like, oh, maybe they ran through something. I mean, again, one night or one mm-hmm. snapshot of each of those isn't uh, indicative of a pattern. But again, the no- we're, we're all speculating, right? Mm-hmm. So our eyeballs and the analytics yeah. say one thing. And like you said, maybe they ran through the dead balls. Mm-hmm. Those were last year's and now we're into a new baseball. But Well, um, actually, yeah. the, 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 even the live balls could be last year's because they're leftover balls, live balls from last year too. Right. You know, I there, agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not uh, the running through was, old stock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, that 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 I'm reasonably sure they would do, if only because uh, MLB uses they're financially motivated. Why would you leave that many baseballs just sitting? Always you comes know, back to the too money. Many to, yeah, I was gonna say it's too many just like to use for souvenirs. Yeah, for real, or so. just to put in a pro like a, a the pro shops at the you know at the stadiums just to sell as baseballs or send a Dick Sporting Goods or something. Right. Right. Because they couldn't even sell them as game-used balls unless they're in games. Exactly. They, they want that sticker on there so they can charge more. So yeah, it's, there's a lot going on it? there. I, I think I was seeing Nats balls for like 40 bucks a pop. And, I mean, I, I like the team, but they don't strike me as the 40 bucks a pop level right this minute. <laughs> so, yep. That's where you are, Blum. You can get a $40 baseball tonight. I know. I'm going to have to start stuffing them into my right suit. Now. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Dr. Meredith yeah, just, Wills. You get to know the authenticator. <laughs> 
Exactly. No, that's exactly right. Some of those guys, <laughs> yeah, they've got the ultimate control of putting that sticker on there and tracking those things. But uh, yep. Dr. Meredith Wills, we are grateful for having you on. Always a great conversation. We will continue to track this as weather heats up and maybe that baseball heats up as well. But uh, thank you for everything. Uh, let fans know where they can they can find some of your information, follow you on uh, social media, and keep up with some of the stuff that we're talking about. So I'm I'm basically on Twitter. Uh, my handle is uh, short for baseball astrophysics, which is BBL underscore, and then astrophysics without the I. But um, and anyone like I'm I'm really looking for for baseballs. BP is fine. Game bullpen. Um, get in touch with these guys. That's fine. You know, it doesn't have to be directly yep. to me. But it's you know I'm trying to get them from as many parks as I can. And frankly, because of the possibly having them, you know, doing some kind of turnover, uh, now like getting them down to like the week is turning out to be a big deal. So, and if you do send them, yeah, letting me know like the game or at least when, preferably like where and when, you know, cause that'll help me then know what I'm looking at. Cause if it turns out they are using them just for nationally televised games, I'm going to want to know if, if that's the case, right? Yeah. If that's the day, mm-hmm. good stuff. Thank you, Dr. Meredith Wills. Appreciate you. Thanks. That was it. Dr. Meredith Wills with some good insight into what's going on with the baseball. Obviously, the slugging numbers are down for baseball. We talked about how the batting average really doesn't matter that much. You had some good points about you know, what might be going on for both pitchers and hitters. But at the same time, it's kind of interesting to know that there is that much going on the, with the baseball. How did you enjoy that interview with uh, Dr. Meredith Wills, Tuttle? Yeah, I liked it a lot. I mean, I think it's uh, it's you're putting yourself in a unique place when when you can upset the pitchers and the hitters equally, and uh, I think that's where baseball is right now. Good and point. I think it's the lack of transparency. We've talked about this before in terms of communication and all that. Um, you know, we didn't get necessarily into the weeds on the communication, but I think as a as an astrophysicist and certainly as a scientist, when you're checking variables and density and you know humidity and the the white the weight and the you know all of that stuff, there should be some consistency that you can measure. And the lack of transparency, whether teams are using the humidor and are they rotating the balls correctly, is just. I mean, I'm just shocked. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. No, it was good stuff. I really appreciate uh, Dr. Meredith Wills coming on this podcast. It was a lot of fun. And uh, that's going to close it out for this episode of Bleacher Blums. It was a lot of fun. Very interesting. Remember the leadoff lyrics. You can go to at Bleacher Blums. Let us know what you, if you know the song, if you know the artist, let us know what's going on with that. We will shout out whoever gets those correct answers on our next podcast. But until then, Bleacher Blums would love to thank all the military currently serving at home and abroad, and of course, all veterans who sacrificed for our freedom. We absolutely salute you. All first responders, police, fire, and emergency personnel, frontline workers, doctors, nurses, essential workers who grind daily to keep us supplied and moving forward, and of course, teachers. We will never forget about you. Continue to inspire our youth. Tuttle, close it out, big boy. Memorial Day is coming up two weeks. Um, Mm. If you're over the age of 45, don't forget to get screened for colorectal cancer. And as always on this podcast, aside from reaching out to Blummer and myself, we encourage you to get after it and believe it. Believe it. Yeah, I'm also hungry. It's lunchtime out here. (laughs) (laughs) We should put that in there somewhere.